World leaders are gathered in Glasgow, Scotland, for a major United Nations conference on climate change. But beyond the false promises and hollow phrases, what will it really take to pull the planet back from the brink of total disaster? What can prevent the capitalists from killing the planet? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself and a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolf's book, Understanding Marxism, has just been released. It features a new, lengthy introduction, which strengthens the case for why Marxism is worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining before we get into the, I don't know, the meat and potatoes of this discussion, I want to talk a little bit about what I would consider to be the insipid media coverage about Glasgow, the contradictory, I would say actually bizarre coverage. Now I'm going to read yesterday's New York Times, Tuesday, November 2nd. Joe Biden seeks boost in oil while urging emission cuts. I'll read a couple of sentences. President Biden told a global climate summit on Monday, quote, we only have a brief window before us, close quote, to reduce the emissions from burning oil, gas and coal that pose an existential threat. Those are his words to humanity. But only days earlier, he was urging the world's largest oil producers to pump more of the fossil fuels that are warming the planet. The incongruity was on center stage, both at the Global Climate Summit currently taking place in Scotland and in Rome this past weekend, where there was a gathering of leaders of the 20 largest economies. Oh, there's another headline, Wall Street Journal, front page. There are still hurdles before the Glasgow Summit, hurdles that must be crossed or passed. I mean, when you think about this coverage, here you have the world leaders, the general secretary at the UN was even more dramatic than Biden's comments about existential threat. He said, we are digging our own graves. I mean, this is his language at the conference. 
And yet right before Biden went, he's urging ExxonMobil, BP, you name it, to produce more oil. And by the way, Professor Wolf, at this moment, the moment we're speaking, police departments in Minnesota are being paid by a Canadian energy corporation called Enbridge. They're actually being paid. They have a big account. They're being paid for the hours they spend beating and arresting environmental activists and indigenous people who are trying to stop an unnecessary pipeline going through Minnesota, through the headwaters of the Mississippi, destroying the land and rice lakes of indigenous people. I mean, when you think about incongruities, I mean, they couldn't be more plentiful. Well, you know, and I don't mean this in any kind of snarky or facetious way, we are confronting here what critics of capitalism have been saying for as long as there's been a capitalism, that it's a system that is driven, and I mean that in the full sense of the word, driven by something that is not the welfare of the people ostensibly it's supposed to serve. And here's what I mean. Every capitalist caught up in one or another kind of competition, which even the big corporations have to worry about, is driven to maximize profit. That is not only the best defense against what your competitor does, but it's also the best offense so that you can outcompete other industries, uh, other firms that you confront. And so capitalists have been training themselves, their children, the students in business schools, literally for two or three centuries now, in the logic of business being, you economize on your costs and you maximize your revenues to get the biggest difference between them, which we call profit. If you do it, you move up the ladder in the corporation or the business, and you are considered a success. And if you fail to do it, and no one cares what the reason is, if you fail to do it, you go the other way, down the ladder, out of business, bankruptcy. It's a harsh system, rewards the winners, punishes the losers. Now, keep that in mind when we confront other things in society that are valuable. Well, one is surviving in terms of our climate, our earth, our natural environment. That's what the people in, in Europe are now discussing. That's an objective that almost everybody agrees to. And that's why you get the statements from the UN leader, from Mr. Biden, and literally almost everybody else. So here we have it, capitalism driven to profit and the society driven to face an existential threat to our survival if we don't do something about our destruction of the environment around us. Clear contradiction. And what Glasgow, what Rome, what any of the meetings that they've had in the past or in the future demonstrate is that in this confrontation, Profit wins and the environment loses. And that no one in a way should be surprised. It was never a reasonable proposition to assume that if people are busy maximizing the profit of their enterprises, 
But by some magic, each capitalist doing that would end up doing the best thing for all of us as a community. That is plainly nonsense. I understand why it's a nice idea. I understand why people misunderstand Adam Smith to have said something like that with his thoughts about the so-called invisible hand. But the truth of it is we all know better. The people in our neighborhood who take care only of themselves, their house, their yard, their pets, are not doing good things for the community in that way. If you want the community to thrive, as well as you thrive, you've got to care about the community as well as about yourself. You can't do your little kind of magic trick that imagining taking care only of yourself will in some super magical way take care of everybody else. And the final point here is, with this contradiction, here's the reality that could not be spoken at the G20 meeting, could not be spoken at the environmental meetings. It couldn't be. Why? Because the implication of everything I've just said is if you want to make the environment the priority that it deserves as a, quote, existential threat to our, literally, our humanity, then you cannot continue to have an economic system that prioritizes profit. In short, there's a basic contradiction between capitalism and saving this planet. And what we are sadly watching is that the people who run our societies are clearly favoring the profit objective over the climate, no matter what pretty words they say. Richard, I want to give you what I consider to be a couple startling statistics. Maybe they're not to you, but they are to me. And I, and I think they would be to most people who are, you know, even if they're paying a little bit of attention, they're not focused completely either on the environment or on the economy. But here it is from CNBC. It's a report from something called the Carbon Majors Report, which published a, a major report in collaboration with the Climate Accountability Institute. They found that the scale of historical emissions, that's from you know oil, gas, coal, was large enough to have contributed significantly to climate change since 1988. Okay, that's not a newsflash. Here it goes. Quote, if the trend in fossil fuel extraction continues over the next 28 years, meaning at the same rate, as it has over the previous 28 years, then the global average temperatures would be on course to rise around four degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by the end of the century. Then another fact, just 100 companies, these are the biggest capitalist corporations, just 100 companies have been identified as accountable for more than 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, according to the report, which was published this Monday, time to coincide with the Glasgow summit. Now, again, for Americans who don't know what Celsius means, four degrees Celsius increase in temperature by the end of the century means that the temperatures will rise 39.2 degrees Fahrenheit by 
the end of the century. That's in 79 years. 39 degrees. So just think of the Arctic ice shelf. 39 degrees warmer. Think about Louisiana. Think about Florida. Think about the hurricanes. Think about what it means to have water that's been heated that much. I mean, a 39 degree temperature increase by the end of the century. Again, when you look at history from the point of view of, um, you know, the long time that humans have existed on this planet, 79 years is like, you know, a second, a half a second, a quarter of a second, less than that. And yet a 39 degree increase in temperature Fahrenheit. I mean, this would, of course, be an ultimate, the ultimate catastrophe. Again, these are not unknown facts. Now, the biggest contributors of those 100 capitalist corporations, not surprisingly, ExxonMobil, formerly Exxon and Mobil, now a monopoly, and also BP, formerly the Anglo-Iranian oil company, and then it became British Petroleum. Richard, ExxonMobil knew all about climate change and global warming 50 years ago, and then when they hired all those researchers and fake propagandists to say global warming wasn't real, but they knew from the beginning it was real. Anyway, when you want to make a case for seizing these companies, depriving them of their ability to destroy the human race and all other living things on the planet Earth, I mean, the cause or the righteousness, the rationale for seizing them and ending their criminal operations, it couldn't be more plain, at least from my point of view. Again, I I see my function here as making folks confront the unpleasant contradiction, the reality that underlies all of this. And here's a way, another way to do it. Every businessman or woman trying to sell something into the market, like an ExxonMobil selling petroleum or, you know, General Motors selling automobiles and so on, has long ago learned that one of the ways you profit is by manipulating the market. And they've all understood that what that concretely means is intervening in the market. None of that respect for the market that you talk about on the 4th of July. I mean manipulating the market. And I think everybody listening understands that advertising is a major way to do that. Now, why am I stressing that? Because what advertising does is go out there and pump the air full of everything positive you can say about a product and carefully avoiding or negating or denying or ignoring all the negatives. And so that's what you do. The literature you put out, the programs you invent, the ads you place in the highway, on the TV, are all designed to do a very strange thing, tell you only about one side of whatever it is the company sells and hide or deny other sides. That has nothing to do with the truth. That has nothing to do with an honest, balanced assessment of positives and negatives. Well, why is that so crucial here? Because an oil company does advertising all the time. It's trying to manipulate the market. That is to enhance the desire, the demand for what it sells and to avoid 
any disinterest or disinclination of the public to buy what it sells. So, of course, the oil companies tell you how wonderfully warm your house will be if you burn that oil, or how wonderful the time you'll have in your automobile if you burn the gas that moves it. And they won't tell you about the pollution of the air, the pollution of the water, the destruction of the soil, and so forth that is going on here. They don't. And that's not because they're unusual. That's because that's how capitalism works. The cigarette companies told us about how much fun it would be to smoke. You know, I remember many years ago, an ad campaign, reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. Okay, you were being told, look, it's good to smoke. It'll it'll take some weight off of you. Now, everybody understands now that this had nothing to do with helping you with your health because they were going to kill you with the cigarette smoking in a way that your sweets probably wouldn't. But they didn't care. Of course they didn't care because they were doing what capitalism drives every capitalist to do. Manipulate the market. Get the market to buy more of your stuff. Spend money because you'll get that back when you've persuaded people to buy more. So you only tell them the good news and you bury, hide, deny, squelch the bad news. And the oil companies were just doing that for their product, just like everybody else does. Advertising is not some mild, bland quirk of our society. It is a way in which capitalists have developed a systematic approach to manipulating the market, which means manipulating us as human beings so that we don't understand a balanced view of the goods and bads of anything, which is really what we ought to be basing our life decisions on. Instead, we get a systematically distorted flow of information. There's nothing new about misinformation. There's nothing new about Mr. Trump's fake news. Lots of the news has been fake a long time. But the root cause of it has a lot to do with an economic system that makes everybody focus on profit and then discovers, as we are, that the things not taken care of, if everybody's focused on profit, can end up being more important, more dangerous, more potentially wonderful than anything delivered to us by this profit-driven capitalism. Richard, last topic for today. I want to go back because we're talking about socialism and we've gone to the basics of Marxism. I want to go back to a basic point of Marxism because I think many people have misunderstood it, misinterpreted it. I certainly think so. And here it is. It's from the Communist Manifesto. Uh, Marx and Engels, although it was really Marx who wrote amazing book, short book, everybody should read it. He wrote it at the age of 28. Engels was 27. He wrote in the, in the manifesto, the bourgeoisie cannot exist without constantly revolutionizing the instruments of production and thereby the relations of production and with them the whole relations of society. And the manifesto goes on to talk about how 
the ruling class, the capitalists, or as he calls them in the manifesto, the bourgeoisie, uh, by virtue of this means of production in search of maximizing profit, has this, in a way, sort of progressive role in one sense, in that it's bringing new means of production constantly to the fore. And it's doing it in a revolutionary way, where in earlier epics, unlike the profit-driven system of competition, things change pretty slowly. But under capitalism, Marx was observing things are happening very rapidly. New factories are coming on, new technologies, new means of production constantly being introduced. And so some people have interpreted this to be sort of a positivist, optimistic view of Marx that the revolutionizing of means of production is always to the good, meaning uh, it helps eliminate scarcity. It helps eliminate poverty, ultimately. The, the only problem would be you know, that the ownership is in the hands of the capitalist rather than using these means of production for the benefit of society and all of its people, all of the individuals. But at the same time that Marx was writing the manifesto, again, this was 1848, he was also involved in a revolution as was Engels. And they were trying to overthrow the very system that they were observing actually revolutionized the means of production. In a way, Marx was saying, yes, capitalism does these things, but ultimately it's not worth it. It's not worth it for workers in the city. It's not worth it for the peasants in the countryside, the small farmers. And they even talked about how it was dangerous and destructive to the environment. I mean, there wasn't a lot of writing about it, but there were certainly some. In other words, Marx wasn't looking at the revolutionizing of the means of production as an end unto itself because the systems of exploitation, including the exploitation of the land and resources from Mother Nature, were such that only bad, not only bad, but mostly bad would come from it. He wanted a revolution even then, even in 1848. Anyway, I want to get your comments on that and we'll, we'll wrap up this segment with that. Yes, I think the same point can be extended to deal with what you've just raised. In a profit-driven system, which is what capitalism is in a way that feudalism, slavery, and virtually every other system we know of did not match. It is true it revolutionizes the means of production, the technology. But let's never forget, it does so in the interest for the purpose of making more money not anything else. Here's a way to understand it. For at least the last two centuries, nearly every technical breakthrough achieved by capitalism has been celebrated by the defendants of capitalism on the grounds it will save labor. We won't be needing to do backbreaking work. We won't be all exhausted all the time. We won't be destroying our own physical and mental capabilities in hard, long hours of work because these technical breakthroughs are labor saving. Well, here's the irony. It could have been that they were used in that way, but that's not how they were used. And that should surprise no one. They were used to make more money for the capitalists who installed them, not for the workers that capitalist hired. He just hired fewer workers, replaced them with a, a better or new machine, 
made the remaining workers work as hard or harder because he always does that because it always enhances his profit. So what you have is a history of technology that has to do with profiting and nothing illustrates it better than energy. You know, yeah, we want to get beyond coal because it was a problem. But to have oil is a whole new set of problems. But no one ever sat us down to talk about it. No one ever proposed that the society systematically debate and discuss the pros and cons of coal, the pros and cons of oil, the pros and cons of changing our lifestyles so that we don't need the quantities of energy that we have. I mean, we have known, for example, that it is infinitely less polluting, infinitely safer, and infinitely less costly to move people in groups, in vans, in trains, in planes, than to have an individual automobile in everybody's garage who can afford it, sitting unused most of the time, uh, wasting way more material than we would need to get everybody going to where they need to go in a comfortable, clean, and safe way. We know that. We know what public transportation can do, but we don't have that particular technical innovation. We haven't spent huge amounts of money to improve our means of collective or mass transportation. Why? Because the profit-making businesses that are grooving off the money they're making on the private car, make sure to flood our culture with images of a happy car and of a happy person driving it and of a happy person being driven in it and on and on and on and on precisely so that we continue to buy what's profitable. And they spend a fortune developing the technology of and for the private automobile and virtually nothing on doing what we know we would need, for example, to deal with climate crisis, which is a mass transportation system because it does way less in emissions than this private car system that we have. So yeah, capitalism revolutionizes, but not in the interest of the majority, not in the interest of the working class who are the majority, not in the interest of society as a whole, but in the interests of profit by the employers, a tiny minority of our society, the employers who make all the basic decisions in our economy, so long as we allow this capitalist system to go. And it's painful to be confronted by the politicians who are there, thanks to the donations and the contributions and the media exposure and the lobbyists that get them and keep them in their jobs, guess what? They're serving the profit system because they always have. No disrespect to Mr. Biden, but he is the senator from the one state in this country where more corporations uh, establish themselves, have their legal home than any other state. He has been the senator of the corporate state all his life. To expect him or the people like him and around him to suddenly understand that they really have a systemic problem, 
that overcoming our climate crisis that threatens our humanity means we have to change the system. They have not thought that way for 10 minutes in the course of their lives, and it is a little crazy for us to expect them to be likely to do that now. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work, the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. He has a new hard copy edition of the book, his book, Understanding Marxism, which we hope everyone orders and reads and studies together. The new hard copy edition has just been released and it features again, a new lengthy introduction. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Starting in November, video episodes of our Thursday show, The Real Story, will be available with our new partner, Breakthrough News, on youtube.com slash Breakthrough News. We're excited that this breakthrough partnership will expand the reach of the show. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash The Socialist Program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.